0: My new book, Peace Over Pain, is now available. You can buy it for $20 on Amazon or you can download it for free inside my exclusive Facebook group. Simply go to peaceoverpain.com slash join the group. And between the group and the book, you will learn how to eliminate chronic conditions. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Is your brain really like a computer? (laughs) Welcome to episode number 159. Today, I'm talking with Brian Satchetta. He's a mental health author, blogger, and software developer. So before we begin, sit down, relax, and take in this important conversation. Brian, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Kevin.
0: So. I notice that you stay with the analogy of the mind being like a computer and I do the same thing. So I, I felt a connection on that. What's your description of the mind being like a computer?
1: Some people say like the brain is the, the human body's central processing unit, right? And in computer science or technology or whatever, like a CPU, right? It's uh, we, that's sort of synonymous with, with a computer or at the very least like the the part of the computer that does all of the processing so in our heads right we can we can run through all of these simulations and loops and whatnot we can visualize certain things we can think about certain scenarios that are, that are uh on the horizon and whatnot so I just sort of draw that, i don't know try to draw that those similarities or or kind of put the two things together uh, and then kind of branch off from there the reason why some of these parallels started was you know i'm an author in the mental health space but i'm also uh, a software developer there's a term in the computer world called recursion it's basically where a block of code calls itself often repeatedly right so um what the, the the base case or the the common example there is like there's a sequence called uh fibonacci numbers or it's like a, the fibonacci sequence it's basically a list of numbers uh it goes like zero one one three five eight thirteen so on and so forth it's basically uh you can calculate the Fibonacci. the i guess the uh any fibonacci number so like Fibon- fibonacci number n is equal to fibonacci of number of of n minus one plus n minus two, if that makes sense. Um, and so in order to write a program that solves, like, that says, like, give me any input, so let's say 99, and give me the Fibonacci number associated with 99, we have to essentially write this recursive function that says, in order to calculate that, I need to calculate Fibonacci of 98 and 97 and so on and so forth until I have I can add up all the components and get back to uh you know return whatever that number is for ninety nine. um so in the same vein that our brains can uh, excuse me, computers can do you know these recursive functions and uh, uh, calculations, things of that nature, we can also become recursive in the sense that like our anxiety uh can call itself again and again and again. We can go deeper into our heads uh, and perpetuate some of the feelings uh that are that are going on throughout our bodies. and so it's like what the the sort of the, the clean wrapping up of this analogy is like, in the computer science example I gave, what what basically happens is the, is the code looks like, you know, if if the number that you're putting in is greater than one, then return Fibonacci of n minus one plus Fibonacci of n minus two. If the number that you're looking at is, is one, then we already know the base case there that like the Fibonacci number associated with the like value one is one. Fibonacci uh, associated with uh, the the zeroeth input or whatever it is is zero. So those are our base cases, and eventually we get down to that where we can say, okay, add zero, add one, add one plus one, add one plus two, that's or yeah, that sort of thing, right? So it's like eventually we need to establish a base case for ourselves and say, when I realize that I am recursively anxious right now, when I am chewing things over uh, for far too long, we need to be able to say to ourselves like, What is, what is my base case? What is something that I can do to break out of this pattern? Right. And stop um, sort of the recursive anxiety that's going on in our minds.
0: Mm. And this is essentially where something like PTSD would come from, right? Like you get bit by a dog when you're seven and now you're afraid of dogs for the rest of your life, or you see a dog and you start panicking. You're like, Oh my God, it's a dog. It's a dog, right? It's, it's deep ingrained into that computer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, PTSD is definitely a a very complicated subject, right? There's so many layers to it. The, the specificities of the scenario that we have been through or are continuing to go through, but definitely, right? It's like uh, there is some trigger or stimulus that reactivates these neural circuits. And then all of a sudden, it's like we're back into our minds, reliving the experience, thinking um, you know, how that experience might affect us in the future, um, even though like, it, it's super difficult with PTSD, especially because so much of this exists below the subconscious mind, right? Like we're not even necessarily in control of it. Being able to come back in with the executive functioning of, you know, the the prefrontal cortices, uh, uh, our prefrontal cortices, or just our, our thinking and awareness-based brains, um, our minds, if you will, like that's the important piece where we're able to step in and exert control, kind of bring that base case back in and say, I know I'm here, right? I need to get myself over there. I've made the link to say that that's where I'm at, where I am. Let me pull out some strategy that I've predefined for myself in order to bring myself back toward calm.
0: Yeah, and, and the mind can also run run habits and patterns, can it?
1: Oh, I mean that's that's what it does, right? If you if you that's, think that's about the
0: computer part, that's that a, is
1: exactly, yep. And I'm I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's like, like a, what, it's
0: like an algorithm,
1: exactly. Yeah, you know, people say. If, you, if there's a task, like what are computers good at? They are good at tasks that are um, repeatable, tasks that you can break down and, and put into steps and whatnot. In our minds, it's the same sort of thing, right? It's like you give it a task or you give it um, something that is maybe well-defined or whatever, right? It's like um, that our, our brains are good at the same thing. They are able to just take one concept, focus on it intently, run a bunch of calculations on it. Um, so yeah, that that is another great parallel.
0: Like data, man. Yep. Just running. So if somebody has formed a habit to say, I think they're not good enough. That can just keep running all day. All day. I'm not good enough. I suck. Uh I you know, I shouldn't do this because I'll fail.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think you know, with a subject like that, there there is often like I mean, so much of this stuff, it's, it's an onion, right? And there's so many layers to peel back. If you say like, I suck, I'm not good enough, whatever, you know, if, if you went to therapy or if you talked with a professional, uh, there's so many different ways of approaching that based on like, you know, the, the person that is, uh, that is seeking help, or if, if you are the person seeking help, you know, there's, there's trauma that could be woven into that. There is potentially just a belief, right? That like, if I say I suck or I'm not good enough, that could be a long-standing belief that I've held that I've I've somehow convinced myself of over the course of my life. It could be factual, it could be infactual. It could also have been like, you know, something that I held on to at a particular moment. And then it became my view of the world, my, my lens through which I saw the world. And then all of a sudden it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, I thought I, you know, I thought I stunk. And because I had that belief, I was then going out and doing certain things and almost getting a result that was commensurate with my belief and reinforcing that belief until one day I was like oh oh it, a- it it absolutely stuck and now that's just who i am right um one of the crazy things about psychology is like the subject itself or the 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 like the field of psychology seeks to figure out like you know where do our beliefs come from how do our minds operate why do we think certain thoughts and it's like if you dig be- if you dig down far enough you could eventually potentially find the source where that belief came from, or at the very least, like maybe you don't even need to find the source, but you could like, you could very well change that belief. And I think for a lot of people, right, we are operating sort of like a sleep at the wheel or subconsciously or whatever, where these beliefs, some of these kinds of beliefs are, are driving our lives, so to speak. We don't even know it. Or even if we do know it, we may say we're powerless to change them. uh, We will never change them, something like that. And the more work you do in the field of psychology, you see that like statements, like the ones I just made, they're patently false. Like, I mean, the brain is malleable. Um, you know, they say that neurons that fire together, wire together, it's Mm -hmm. like, you take everything that research tells us. And it's like, whatever reality you want to create, that is possible. Like given the right steps, given the right circumstances and the things that we tell ourselves.
0: So in your experience, how do you change a belief system?
1: So, you know, there's kind of the like, there's kind of the sexier, but maybe not so, um, what's the right word, substantial idea that like, you can change a belief uh, in an instant, you got to like recite these affirmations or something like that. Um, that could happen. Like, you know, sometimes somebody can basically sit down and say, this is what I believe. Here's my information for reason my reasoning for why I believe it. And then start to see that like, oh, Maybe the evidence that I have in front of me is not t- is telling me that this belief isn't so true. Right. And that can be a very quick way to be like, I poked holes in that belief and it's gone. Um I definitely think that is possible. And I, I, you know, I'm I'm not trying to like um, I don't know, uh crap on people who who sort of push those sorts of narratives, right? That that absolutely can happen. The thing that, you know, with a lot of my writing, I like to come back to the fact that like, All of this stuff is difficult, you know. For the average person, they're not going to they're not going to change their belief in five minutes. A lot of these things take time. Um, So some of that, right? Going back to the answering the question you asked, like how do you change a belief? A lot of it is like pushing yourself into situations that go up against that belief. Over time, compiling enough evidence. Uh, to show you that what you were believing is not necessarily true. And then also having conversations with people, right? Whether it's a friend, a loved one, a therapist. Um, Sometimes, you know, when we live in our own heads, we've created this universe for ourselves. And then all of a sudden, like you talk to a friend, right? And they're like, you believe that? What are you (laughs) talking about? You know? And, And like, that's another instance where like sometimes immediately we can, we can almost kind of snap out of our days, if you will. Right. So, um, there, it's a tough one, like, you know, changing a belief. I'm sure I could write many blog posts on it. Maybe not a whole book, but, um, it's a complicated answer. I think that's probably the best preview that I have.
0: Yeah. So doing the opposite essentially. So perhaps write down, let's use an example, a hypothetical, let's say, uh, you very much dislike your neighbor i mean this guy is just a pain in the butt right he 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 does this with his backyard and he does that and he doesn't mow the lawn and he makes a lot of noise and you you just you hate his guts and it gets you you get to the point of disdain you just you have dark thoughts about this guy right And then someone hears this podcast and they're like, oh, okay. So what would they do? They write down, okay, I hate my neighbor. And then (laughs) write down, write down all the things, the helper thoughts, so to speak, the reasons why I hate my neighbor. And then look at it, maybe on a whiteboard. So you can really take a step back and look at it and be like, okay, is that true? Is that true? Is that true? And then, like you said, poke holes in the theory, because it's a theory, right? It doesn't mean the neighbor's a bad guy.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think one of the other important pieces of this process, I think you have it right so far. I think the other important piece is to try to keep an open mind and try to remember that the narratives that we tell ourselves as you alluded to are not always true right this is a theory we haven't necessarily proven that this, this person is a bad guy of course there are going to be folks who are listening to this and be, and they'll say like no i actually saw my neighbor do these horrific things yeah. in that case you know that that this this uh, the this spiel that i'm going on does not necessarily apply but yeah. you know i i live in, like myself i live in a shared building i have a lot of neighbors and whatnot and there it's just in us right like as humans it's just in us to be like that person's being loud. Like they must be obnoxious, rude, not care about people, whatever. Those are narratives that we construct on our own Mm -hmm. because they are convenient. And it's easier to have something to blame than to do the work of like figuring out what is really going on. And so when I say like, keep an open mind, right. Is like, sure. Again, like there are going to be situations where like, you may be like, okay, I am keeping an open mind. I'm going to go over to my neighbor's house tomorrow and have a friendly conversation. And the conversation goes horribly. Right. So it's, it's a very nuanced approach where it's like, there's, there's no perfect solution. I think the best thing that you can do is say to yourself, like, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to try to figure this out because it's like uh, either you start with the belief, uh, the negative belief already, and you have to figure out how to poke the holes in it. Or you say, my mind is trying to convince me that this is the truth when I'm going to try my best to, again, keep this open mind and saying, like, maybe that is not the reality. And I'm going to actively go looking for evidence to the contrary. Right. Um, So many times in work, in our friendships, relationships, whatever. Again, we develop these narratives. Like just kind of off the cuff. Uh, and we we have these stories because it's our, you know, our minds want to be able to classify things very quickly and then just move on and be able to say, like, okay, I have my associations down with this person. I know that they are lazy. I know that they are this, that, whatever. But again, that is that those things aren't always true. So it's like. Going to that neighbor, having those conversations, asking them some questions, trying to figure out what they enjoy, right? Trying to figure out where their leverage points are uh, and just figure out like, you know, if there is a specific thing that is frustrating them or frustrating you about them, just kind of, I guess, prodding a little bit there or like poking and seeing like, okay, you know, this guy put a fence up, like, you know, he's a jerk because he put a fence up. Now I can't see the pond or whatever it is like going at, like ask him questions about, you know, the neighborhood and whatnot. And it's kind of slowly get to that point where you can start to see what his beliefs are or her beliefs are, uh, and develop in your own mind, what their narrative is. Sometimes I find that when I have conversations like that, I'm like, wow, I I got this person wrong. You know, maybe, maybe I got it wrong in a bad way. Maybe I got it wrong in a good way. I, I don't know, but, um, definitely like it is so funny because our brains come to these split rat, like split second rash decisions. And it is our job, you know, as the um, sort of the executive, uh, the CEO of the mind, right? We need to be the ones to step in and say like, wait a second. I know that is convenient to classify, label, prejudge, whatever, but I'm going to slow things down a bit and see if maybe there is more to this story than I'm seeing right now.
0: Right. And and that's the other thing is if you find out that your neighbor has done some awful things. Then you could dive into why is he like that? Was his father an alcoholic that beat him? You know, did his wife leave him? Did, you know, does he have neuropathy in his feet and he's miserable? Like who, who knows? Like, exactly. So there's a whole other layer there.
1: Yeah. And that's, what's so fascinating about the field of psychology in general. Right. I have for one reason or another, uh probably just because I spend time in the field, is like, I will meet somebody and I will, you know, if if they are, you know, seemingly a curmudgeon or something like that, my mind is like, I am so curious to know what that person's backstory is. What, what happened to them, you know, and like why, as you're mentioning here, like why, why are they the way that they currently are? Because like nobody, nobody wants to be a jerk, right? It it is basically like, if someone is a jerk, it, it has become a, a misguided survival mechanism for them, right? It's their way of getting by in the world uh, based off of stories and events and possibly traumas that they endured in the past. Uh, sometimes the misinterpretations that we make and also they make are incorrect, right? Maybe, again, going back to the idea of like, hey, I am I stink, I'm not worthy, whatever. Maybe we develop that belief over some event that we misinterpreted and then it stuck with us over time. That's why psychology is so fascinating because you know, uh you're able to peel back the layers of the onion and try to get back down to the exact reasons or the moments or experiences that that shaped people. Uh, and I find that stuff so fascinating.
0: It is. And it really is like a like a computer and it can uh I think if more people viewed it like that it would take the pressure off
1: you know? it, it, w- it would, it, you know, the, the toughest thing, right. Is that we still, we still are humans. We still are like animals. Right. And like we, we all myself included, we have these capacities, propensities, whatever, to react quickly. And so it's like, you know, if somebody yells at you and, and says something mean, like, even though, I, you know, I, I like to think that I'm good at or, or I, I'm interested in figuring out what drives people and whatnot, if somebody yells at me, all those rules go out the window, yeah. all my, you know, ideas <laughs> of, oh, let me figure out who this person is. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm mad, right? So yeah. we still have to remember that we're dealing with um, a brain that was constructed a long, long time ago. Um, and is built for basically split decisions, uh, split second decisions, and reactions to keep us safe and to keep us alive. So um, yeah. sometimes it's easier said than done.
0: Yeah, we're 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 animals, but we evolved into these computers in our heads, and it's like so we're we're primitive animals with a computer. In our
1: head. Yep, that's one and way of looking at it,
0: it and it kind of uh, almost contradicts in a little in a, in a way.
1: definitely yeah and i mean you know you could (laughs) there's there's talks like if you if you follow the technology space like uh there's a company Neuralink that uh elon musk started he you know the goal is to like embed uh computer chips into people's brains and and sort of pair up like the biology part of of humans uh with with legitimate computers and sort of make us these like legitimate cyborgs if you will um and so it, who knows what will happen there or in the future or whatever but we are already part cyborg you know we carry our phones around with us all day every day yeah. um and like you said our brains are these computer like machines um or maybe you could turn it around and say computers are are like the mind i don't know cuz the mind occurred you know came into existence first but anyway um it's it is kind of interesting that uh those two things are like being talked about in the in the same discussion and who knows where where the future uh, leads us? But even at that point, we would still be animals uh, with, I guess, even more uh, powerful supercomputers in our heads.
0: Yeah, we're definitely animals. We 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 fight. We have sex. We get angry. You know, we, we protect our turf, especially men. Oh No, women too. Women too, <laughs> in a different way though. But we're just territorial. Yet. You know, yesterday, we had some snow here in Hartford, Connecticut. My first instinct was, because I'm so busy, my first instinct is, oh, how many inches? I need to know. Do I need to get the snow blower? So what do I do? Hey, Suri, how much snow are we getting? Then Suri ticked me off because she just said, it's snowing. (laughs) So my tablet's on the other side of the room. So I said... Alexa, how much snow are we getting? And Alexa gave me the proper answer, under an inch. Oh, she just heard me and talked. And so I knew in that moment, I didn't have to get the snowblower. I I received that information by just talking to a cyborg thingy that's running off of an algorithm. Right? And so it it's it's so parallel to what's going on in this skull of ours, right
1: yeah, yeah, it's 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 a strange world for sure. I mean, some of these technologies benefit us immensely, right? Like you and I are able to have this discussion via Zoom because of the technology we have, the computers and whatnot. But obviously, technology can also be used for evil or or bad things or whatever. Um, so I don't know it's 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 a strange world, definitely,
0: yeah. Why would you say anxiety is not a superpower? Some people say it is.
1: Yeah. Um, so this was like the topic of a blog post that I had written recently. And you know, I, I think in today's day and age, there is a propensity for content creators and um, you know, news agencies, PR agencies, whatever to want to boil things down into these like sexy taglines, right? And some of this, like I don't even blame the people who necessarily write write this content. The problem is that, you know, search engine optimization runs off of keywords. And so in order to rank, in order to come up like first or on the first page of a, a, a search engine or something like that, we basically need to make sure that we, so what would happen, right, is you may, you may type in anxiety is a superpower into Google. And that's like a sexy term, right? It's like okay, that is well defined. Uh, it's catchy; people remember it. So then they're they're typing for it, and then behind the scenes, right? Google is doing uh, running its Page Rank algorithm to figure out how many people are writing about, you know, anxiety is a superpower. How many of these these pages link to other pages that are important in our algorithm? And so, what what the sort of sort of like search op, uh, excuse me, what SEO basically? boils down to is like, you've now got a bunch of people that are like land grabbing, if you will, right? There's like a hot new term, we got to like write about it, we got to make sure that we link to all these other Mm -hmm. sites, because we want to come up first in the rankings for a specific, um, I don't know, phrase, keyword, whatever. The problem is that like, most things related um, to mental health to like, you know, living a good life to finding peace and calm and clarity and all that stuff, you can't boil that wisdom down into like this catchy tagline, right? So a lot of people will say like anxiety is a superpower uh, in the sense that it's almost like, you know, you're, you're walking up and down the beach with a metal detector. And the closer you get to a piece of metal, uh, the more that your metal detector will start making noises, and you, it's sort of like when it, it's like playing the game, you know, hot or cold as a kid, and you're like, okay, it's it's hot over here, it's cold over there. I'm going closer to the heat until I find, you know, the piece of metal that's lodged in the sand in the beach. And so when it comes to anxiety and and, and saying that anxiety is a superpower, what folks are getting at is like. Anxiety can kind of be, and and I, I subscribe to this in some fashion, but not the boiled down, sexy version. Is that anxiety can be sort of a a gauge or a signal that you are close to an event, a situation, um, some experience that could help you grow and help you get closer to the things that are important to you, right? So the the example I gave in the blog post was like if you know, you see this person every day that you are, if you're single, right? You see this person every day, you're romantically interested in them, you want to ask them out, but you're nervous to do it. That your nervousness, your anxiety is, according to this theory, right, of like anxiety is a superpower, is showing you that this is like the growth Seeking uh growth potential, seeking uh experience that you have been looking for, right? If you mm. want to be in a relationship, uh, your anxiety is telling you, like, there it is, that's the one you want, that's the thing you want, right? right. So looking at it as sort of a, a compass or a guidepost um can help you, can help drive you toward experiences that you care about that are meaningful, that sort of thing. So it's like uh I, I guess another one, right? Is like if you're at a, if you work a job that you don't enjoy and every day, like you're, you know, you're burned out, you're, um, I don't know, lethargic, bored, whatever. And then you start thinking about, I could start my own business. I could, you know, run a bakery, some, something that I'm super passionate about that I've wanted to do for a long time. And every time you start to think about whatever that subject is, you get anxious. You're like, what about this? What about that? What if I fail? The, the notion anxiety is a superpower is, is basically getting at that. Like That your anxiety around that subject is telling you that that's something that's really important to you and could lead you to like the life that you want, right? Mm -hmm. So I subscribe to the idea that anxiety is a compass. It very much um, like compass is a good word yeah, it, it is very much that sort of thing that I just described where it's like it can lead you to to events, circumstances, situations that are beneficial for you that might even, you know, lead you towards fulfillment or whatever. What I don't like about the boiled down version of like anxiety is a superpower is that it it overlooks like half of the the equation of anxiety, right? It's like, it it glorifies or glamorizes this experience when in reality, you talk to anybody with anxiety and it sucks, right? It's like uh, everybody who's dealt with it. The reason that they're looking for content on the subject is because because through their anxiety, they have endured a massive amount of pain. They have been held back from something in their life. Their, their life has been thrown off course as a result of it. They can't have the life that they necessarily want. Um, And so Why I said anxiety is not a superpower is is just is just because I'm reframing that phrase a little bit. I basically said anxiety is a you know a painful but necessary teacher that leads us to things that could be beneficial for us. Hmm. Uh, At the same time, like a superpower, like sure, I I know like uh, Clark Kent, you know he he has his he has his superpowers. At the same time, it was like. Um, You know, he had his kryptonite and whatnot. Uh, And sometimes, you know, sometimes superpowers can get you into bad places or tricky situations or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I was just kind of saying like, I don't really constitute something that leads regularly leads you to a massive amount of pain, in my opinion, is can't qualify as a superpower. So it was sort of like, taking the sexy phrase and knocking it down a bit and saying like, let's be real here. It is a compass. It's also a painful compass. You want to listen to it. You will probably get to some pretty good places. The problem is to get to those places. You're going to have to endure even more pain. Uh, Some people are up for that. Some people are not. That was the message that I was trying to get across there.
0: Okay. It makes sense. And yeah, people with anxiety, I mean, they suffer quite a bit and I feel that, you know, to, to borrow your brand name, you know, they're stuck in their head, you know, and it's, it's not easy to look someone in the eye that's suffering like that and tell them, Hey, you're stuck in your head. Some people don't even understand what that means because they've blended into their thoughts and they think that they are their thoughts instead of it being data from a computer, an algorithm, which is why a few minutes ago, I said, if people could just understand this computer analogy, then a lot of people will start getting a little free,
1: definitely. And you know, I think a lot of us, myself included at times we we attach to the thoughts, right? We say, we are the reason for the negative thoughts. And then all of a sudden, we we sort of create this cascading negative effect where it's like, oh, well, if I'm the reason for these thoughts, then then I'm doing something wrong, then I'm an idiot, then I am, um, you know, n- n- not worthy, I am lesser, I am just a right. loser, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then from those thoughts, right, going back to sort of the recursive anxiety sort of thing we talked about at the beginning of the show was like, we say okay first i'm anxious now i'm anxious about being anxious now i'm anxious about anx- uh, about being anxious about being anxious and so on and so forth when we are able to say to ourselves like and this is why you know these kinds of kinds of conversations can be so helpful is we can sort of inject like the baseline layer of knowledge that people need to know of uh, for example right saying that just because you have negative thoughts uh, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you it means that as you alluded to these are just things that are emanating from the computer that exists in your mind. If you want to go all the way back into evolutionary psychology and whatnot, right. It's like the, the, and I, and I'll kind of keep this a little bit briefer, but if you look at uh, a concept called, you know, the brain's negativity bias, it's basically that like over time, right. Um, just as evolution and natural selection state, it's like characteristics, traits, behaviors, whatever that promoted our survival over time tended to live longer in the gene pool and get passed on to offspring. Right. Um, the reason why we have a lot of negative thoughts, the reason why our brain attaches to those thoughts is because we need to survive. if we were sitting in our beds every day or we were sitting on the uh, park bench every day with not without a care in the world ever, and then all of a sudden you know on one random day a tiger pops in front of us, we're just like, "Oh, it's a cute little tiger, you know it's like, guess what? we're probably lunch meat, so you know we are wired, we are predisposed to these negative thoughts. The algorithms that are running in our minds predispose us to these thoughts as well, and so when we're able to say like Oh, I get it. It's that's just how humans were constructed. This has nothing to do with me. Then all of a sudden, we can turn off that faucet of of sort of perpetuating negativity.
0: What happens if we stop paying attention to it, or we are paying attention to it, but we don't take it serious? We're just like, ah, it's just the algorithm.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, whatever way that works for you to, or to, for the listener, right? To to turn that like, if it, if it's to literally turn the faucet off, if it's to you know, laugh at it, whatever. It doesn't matter the the way by which we get there. All that matters is that we get there somehow. Um, so that's fine too.
0: Yeah, I put so much work into myself over these last 12 years that I don't, uh, it's, I don't take my thoughts very serious at all. And what's that, what that has done is it's, some emotions have gone away. Uh, there's still annoyance and anger. So I'm figuring that might be the last to leave or that's primal. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing.
0: I I don't feel any guilt. I don't feel any shame. Uh, very rarely do I feel any fear. Very rarely. And I get attacked all the time. Uh, I have a decent following on Instagram and people are slaying me all the time. You know
1: what I mean? yep uh
0: every now and again the adrenals pop
1: absolutely it's It's rare though that right trigger you know that that hits you on the right day but it doesn't last long
0: it doesn't last long it it comes through and it, it passes in like a minute or two that's great or i just breathe into it and i'm like ah there it is i see it i'm with it you know and it just it's all like clouds just passing in the sky right
1: that is that's great. That's like really the approach that uh I think everybody strives for. It's you know, sometimes it's easier said than done, but it's great that you've gotten there. You know, I think about I listen to the Joe Rogan experience sometimes, sure. and he says, you know, a lot of people do obviously. And it's like he says that at a certain point he was like, just stopped reading the comments, like couldn't go in there, couldn't whatever, because there's just so many people that are throwing their yeah. own. Neuroses and traumas at you, right? Yeah. They're getting mad at you for something that you didn't even say on this podcast. They're interpreting it again, going back to the lens through which we view the world. They had all these things happen to them. They now see the world in this particular fashion. You say something that is unrelated to what they are thinking and how they are interpreting things, and it triggers that neural circuit in their brains. And then all of a sudden, they're writing some hateful comment on your post, and you're like, I wasn't talking about that. Like, you, you know, they're, they're interpreting it in a different fashion. So however, however it works for you or for, for me, the listener, whatever, um, it is important that we find those ways to be like, okay, I'm either, I'm going to read the comments and I'm going to let them pass through me. I'm going to ignore the comments. And then I don't even have to deal with that, whatever, uh, the important thing, right. Is to, to figure out ways to stay mentally resilient, um, yeah. and to let those emotions wash over us because they could keep going.
0: I say, I say, bring it on. I, I don't avoid it like Rogan. Uh, well, first of all, I can't. I'm not at his level. He can ignore it. I got to answer my comments every day. It's part of my job. Every morning, I got to hop on and respond to people, positive or negative.
1: Yeah, it's a good, that, good point. It,
0: it boosts the algorithm too. But just as an example, just last week, I did a video on death. I'm talking about death and how to deal with it. And a bunch of people came out of the woodworks who had children that died. And a lot of them just totally just slaughtered me. Yep. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. One woman called me a narcissist. I'm just like, but there was a lot of love too. There was a lot of loving comments too. And so you just got to take a step back and go, this is none of it is really real because the positive comments and the negative comments are both coming from different computers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think the other thing, like the way that I look at it, right. is like, those things are real. Like those people had it speaking to your post, right, those people probably more like very likely had experiences that were awful for them. Mm -hmm. The, The thing is like, when you are, working in an artistic medium, whether it's you're writing a book, you're doing a podcast, writing blog posts, whatever, right? It's like, you're almost writing for yourself or for a a specific persona. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, it's kind of pros and cons. You put that piece of content out there. And you you know, you sort of wrote it for that one persona. And there's 1000s of personas that are going to read it, or see it or whatever. And so it is sort of an unfortunate byproduct of the the sort of infinite scaling technologies that we have where it's like I, you, someone else is inevitably going to put something out there that for a few specific use cases, we didn't cover ourselves, right? We, we left ourselves vulnerable to offending someone. Um, when that happens, I am usually just like, you know, I, I get a lot of people that write and they're like, this person's not a doctor. Don't listen to him. Like he has no experience, whatever. And I, if I can write back, like, you know, if it's a medium where I'm able to write a comment, I just say, Hey, um, I, I totally appreciate your feedback like, please make sure that like everybody that's interested in this book, please seek like, you know, professional help as well. I am just relaying my experiences in the way that I know best uh, and hoping that they resonate with someone, you know, and then in my own head, I'm like, of course, they didn't resonate with this person, but that's okay, right? It's like, that is inevitable. So I, for myself, I just kind of let those things go. Um, But I do, if somebody's like legitimately upset i try maybe you know, i give it one opportunity to be like hey i'm putting you know i'm putting the flag up or whatever the white waving the white flag and just being like you're right but we don't need to be mad about this i can mm-hmm. acknowledge that you had an experience or whatever and like and if it still doesn't you know if my content still doesn't work for you i wish you well and i hope that you you find what you're looking for so
0: mm. so for someone that is struggling with anxiety What's your advice to them, especially if they're having a, or going into a panic attack?
1: The, the tricky thing about panic attacks is that most of us have them before we know what they are and how scary they are. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like in hindsight, we're like, I had a panic attack. It was terrifying. I now realize that I wasn't dying, but at the time I thought I was dying. So sometimes if somebody is already dealing with anxiety and they haven't had a panic attack yet, it can be very helpful for them to know what a panic attack is like before it happens. Now, are we always going to catch that before it does? I, I don't know, um, but you know, the more content we get out there, the more helpful it can be. So, for example, right, like I've had a panic attack before, and a, a lot of folks listening will have had them as well. And you, you're like, I can't breathe, my heart is racing, I think I'm going to have a heart attack, whatever. M- more often than not, you know, especially if you are like a young fit adult or something like that, you are not actually like if you are. You know, if your if your thoughts are racing, your mind is racing, and your body is also working overtime as well, you are probably like you know experiencing extreme nervousness. And by most accounts, if not every single account, like you can't die from a panic attack unless you decide to stop breathing. Um, So again, having that base layer of knowledge and being able to say like, I now identify that this is a panic attack. I realize it's horrifying, but I am going to shut off that sort of secondary layer of negativity uh, by saying to myself. Even though this is scary, I cannot die from this, right? I understand what is happening, even if it totally, totally stinks right now. Mm. Um, The sort of next layer of advice that I would give in that situation is to remember to, to, if you can, and obviously panic really takes your mind over and, and prevents you from thinking about much at all. But the important thing or like the thing to focus on when you're having a panic attack is to regulate your breathing. If you are having a panic attack, your fight or flight nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system is revved all the way up. If you wanna turn that off, you need to breathe deeply. Uh, You need to exhale deeply. So it's like, obviously we can't exhale deeply without first inhaling deeply. So I usually just say, breathe deeply, slow and methodically, like through your belly, right? When we exhale deeply, we activate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is sort of the the opposite side of the autonomic nervous system, the opposite side of uh, the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight system. So um, like if we're trying to get out of that panic attack, we need to activate the parasympathetic as quickly as we can. Breathing deeply helps us do that. Um, I feel like there was another question. It was like, okay, so more broadly, right? What would you say to somebody that is dealing with anxiety in general? it is mostly to remember like that you are not alone in this battle. There are a lot of people that are, have experienced the same sorts of things that you have. Um, we are all human. We all experience doubt, fear, negativity, those sorts of things. Um, When, when I say, remember that you're not alone, it's, it's to remember that there are other people out there, many, many people that are willing to have conversations with you, right? You may feel like you're the only one out there suffering when in reality, like if you can find a confidant, you can find a doctor or something like that. Um, so many people deal with this and I'm not, I'm not trying to trivialize what you may be going through, but it's like, don't let those emotions stay inside of you and fester, get them out, talk to somebody that person will probably have pretty good advice to give you. Um, and it'll set you a little bit further along on your healing journey. So it's like, remember, you're not alone, talk to people, um, and just like get that journey going rather than like sitting on your couch, stewing on negative thoughts, again, driving yourself into the abyss and, and, you know, enduring sleepless nights and cold sweats.
0: Right. So Brian, where can people come find your work?
1: Yeah. Best place to find me is get out of That is uh, all one word there. there's no dashes, no spaces on that. If you go to the website, I've got a you know link to my blog. Uh, also my uh, the the two b- books that I've written as well. So there's a lot of good information on the site. Um, pretty much everything is accessible there. Right on.
0: Brian, thank you for your time today.
1: Thanks, Kevin. it was uh, it was a pleasure chatting.
0: Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.